to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host uh, here today. And like a recurring nightmare that just doesn't seem to go away, Charles Goldman is back in the studio <laughs> with us. Uh, also and I brought the, the future generation you, with me. You brought the future <laughs> with us. That's right. Also in the studio with us, um, Bill Stowe. Uh, voted by some obscure magazine as one of the ten most handsome men in the Des Moines metro. Uh, Charles and I are all, also on the list, so we don't know how credible it is. Very obscure uh, magazine. Uh, also, obscure. the defender of Iowa water, except if you're from Buena Vista, Sac, or Calhoun County, then you have a different opinion. <laughs> Absolutely. And also the slayer of many trees, apparently, right? Unfortunately, right now, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, well, you just uh, on that subject, tell us about, I know we're going to talk mostly about water and climate, but tell us about the, um, the project, the massive project underway in Waterworks Park right now. Uh, Waterworks Park uh, here in Des Moines, just north of our general office, a lot of construction going on right now, a lot of sloppy construction, Ed, uh, private money raised to essentially create a better connection um, with nature, uh, some trails. Uh, there's going to be an amphitheater that's uh, bi-directional, north uh, for larger concerts, south for smaller concerts, 500 on the south side, near six or 7,000 on the north side. Uh, really what has been intended is to bring more people into the park, uh, give them a better sense of what our business is about and what our environmental concerns are. And we think one of the ways to do that is with the down trees. Yeah, well, maybe that's a little bit of a disconnect, but we're working on that. Yeah, well, I assume you're planning some more somewhere. Yes, we are. Yeah. Is that, isn't Waterworks Park like the second biggest city park in the country after Central Park? Central park. Or, it's huge. Is, is, you know, I, I hate to use too many hyperbola like our president. Everything is the greatest, <laughs> the biggest, uh, but it, it is a significant park. We've got 1,500 acres here in Des Moines, as you know, and we also have 1,500 acres around our Maffet Reservoir uh, mm-hmm. in the corner of uh, Polk and uh, Madison counties. So Central Park, take that. Yeah, uh, yeah we're definitely bigger yeah. than Central Park. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, hey um, – well, actually, the president may be glad to hear that since he may have to take refuge from New York because he may not be able to step back in New York. I'm not, sure I, I'm not taxes. sure I want to take refuge, uh, <laughs> finding worse, refuge yeah. here in Des Moines, though. Thank yeah. you. I think I'd prefer him in New York. Okay, so water water quality. It's a big issue in Iowa. We sent a whole bunch of topsoil and nitrates down to the Gulf. Uh, uh, Louisiana's not particularly happy with us. Can't blame the one bit. Um, you're trying to do your part uh, through, you know, engineering mechanisms and through lawsuits and uh, where where are we at with this? I mean, is, is the problem, are we on track to see the problem of Iowa's contamination of the Mississippi River Basin getting any better or is it? No. no. I, w- I wish I could be more optimistic about that, but as you know, the, the hypoxic zone continues to grow. Uh, weather like this, and I'm sure we'll talk a little mm-hmm. bit about climate change and some other related issues, but weather like this is uh, transporting a whole lot of our topsoil as well as a lot of agrotoxins into the Gulf, even as we speak. Um, the political leadership in this state, Ed, for somebody as sophisticated as you and as involved as you, you know, you know it's failing. We, we have really, really poor leadership. Uh, the governor's yeah. first legislation was water quality, but all it was was window dressing to move some money around um, but nothing substantively is going on right. that's for sure so we, we had a I mean we we had a report come out recently that showed that every other hey Grayson how are you we have a <laughs> we have a new a new guest on the set Actually, here. Before, before Bill leaves that topic um, you know we're looking for different ways to try to make people see climate change instead of haranguing them about conservation and things like that um, and interestingly, out in Oregon, a new tack for the uh, anti-choice groups is to is to try to go the how much is it costing Oregonians to subsidize um, abortions? So uh, I'm wondering if you could speak to well, no, no, no this doesn't do with abortion. We're, 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 we are <laughs> clearly subsidizing a societal cost of the way we do agriculture in Iowa. It's costing Des Moines taxpayers, Absolutely. Iowa taxpayers. How much is it costing them? And how much is it costing taxpayers? throughout the country to mitigate the damage that's going on in Louisiana. I mean, look, you know. Uh, absolutely. absolutely yeah, and, and again, to clarify that, too, every other state has made progress. Every other state in the upper Mississippi River Basin has made progress, correct? That's true. Mm-hmm. Iowa is the only state that's going in the wrong direction in terms of increasing the amount of pollution. So, yeah, to Charles's point. 
Well, you know, this, it's, it's such a great paradox because there's you know, two pieces to that. Getting into the actual numbers is, I think, a little bit of a challenge. But the long and short of it, from my vantage of the paradox, is this. We subsidize um, industrial agriculture as, as state taxpayers, as federal taxpayers, and we're essentially subsidizing producers of agrotoxins that come into our drinking water that we have to remove. So it's a, it's a double whammy for Des Moines area ratepayers. How much do you think it costs to the Des Moines area ratepayer to remove the it, It's millions of dollars a year, doctor, and of mm-hmm. course it depends uh, on a number of factors, what the use is, which is weather-related, uh, and how much, how many pollutants are in the water. Uh, in our business, we're more interested in concentration than we are in loadings. The loadings, the volume that make it to the Gulf when the weather is like this is extraordinary, but mm-hmm. it actually, in the short term, dilutes for us. The long and short of it is uh, it's still a system that's upside down. We're uh, paying too much money for the wrong people to do the wrong kind of farming in the wrong areas, and it's creating pollution issues for us that are significant and even more significant for our friends uh, in Louisiana and the Gulf now, of Mexico. Now, when I, when, I, when I walked along the pipeline road in 2015, and in subsequent visits to rural Iowa, I've seen a lot of farmers who are trying to do the right thing. They've got buffer strips. Uh, they've got uh, grass waterways. Some are doing terracing. Uh, you, you see signs of people trying to do the right thing. Is that is the problem that that's just a minority of farmers doing that? Or is it even what they're doing not enough? Well, I think there are a number of problems. Uh, there isn't enough out there. When we look at conservation practices, whether it's cover crops or whether it's buffers, uh, whether it's strips, uh, essentially an, another form of uh, plantings in the low areas of farm fields, there just isn't enough, Ed. We in the uh, Raccoon River and the Des Moines River Valleys, there are 10,000 – or I'm sorry, 10 – uh, yeah, 10,000 square miles of farmland upstream from us. Uh, maybe 10% of that property uh, is engaged actively in some kind of conservation practice. That's insufficient. And again, what we're seeing in federal conservation programs, we don't have a farm bill, as you know. Uh, since 1985, they've tried to link conservation practices with eligibility for federal funds. Mm-hmm. It hasn't gone well. And essentially, you've got conservation practices that come and go based on federal funding, um, and it's just not working. Okay, so you, you, you mentioned that the current political leadership uh, paid lip service, so that indicates that they know there's a problem, right? and not, not just a, a pollution problem, but also a political problem, because I think most Iowans are concerned. I think most Iowans are concerned. Uh, you know, I think um, the governor and the legislature certainly know that there are significant numbers of Iowans that are concerned about water quality, the loss of our natural resources. You know, Iowans uh, seem to now be moving past this idea that it has to be this way and are asking for some political involvement. But the actual uh, political involvement that we've seen, the policy initiatives that we've seen from the governor and the legislature have been very weak and they're more in the form of window dressing okay. than they are of anything substantive. So, the, and again, the bill passed this past session window dressing. It, it does. It's, and again, it, it essentially took uh, the sales tax that you and I pay on our water bill <clears throat> and um, now instead of directing it to the general fund, is directing it into conservation practices. But the real problem is it's an insufficient amount of money and again, it's taking <clears throat> uh, our money as consumers and putting it in the hands of producers. It it's might, a distortion. Remind our audience, was it what, $25 million? I'm sorry, uh, uh, amount of dollars, yes, that's yeah, correct. $25 million over how many years? Uh, 10-ish. So, so, so about $2.5 million a year. Very little. Not a lot of money. Very little, to okay. say the least. So, and a lot of folks are feeling that this is not a problem that can be solved with just throwing money at it. It, it has to become, it has to become a, something, a, we need something other than a voluntary approach to expecting landowners and, and farmers to do the right thing. But, I mean, that's going to come with, problems for producers and then you know at some point you do need money uh, but again you know what's what's the what's the um, what's the ideal solution here? And are we, do we have any political leadership willing to tackle that? Well, certainly the the the, the current approach is backwards. We're more interested in uh, finding some public money and assigning it out to producers without any kind of accountability or responsibility. We've looked at the nutrient reduction strategy, which is Iowa's kind of plan for dealing with water quality. The last five years, roughly 125 million dollars has been spent, uh, but there's no accountability for that and no resource 
sources uh, that uh, uh, are indicating any real progress here. Money is being spent, sprinkled around, a lot of ribbon cuttings for politicians, but no pros- uh, progress being shown. And so you with the Des Moines Waterworks uh, filed a lawsuit a couple of years back that uh, – well, a few years back now that received um, a, lot of, a lot of attention. And again, when I um, – you know, uh, nearly everywhere I went on that pipeline walk, people wanted to talk about the pipeline, except in Buena Vista and Calhoun County. They were more interested in talking about what an evil man Bill Stowe is. I, you know, <laughs> I guess my reputation preceded me there. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, clearly this is a controversial issue. Um, the reality is that whether it's controversy or not, we need to resolve this. Climate change issues are very real in our business. We're seeing, again, very distorted weather patterns and climate patterns, and that will only make surface water pollution even yeah, worse. Yeah, let's come back. We're going to take a short break here. I want to come back to that. But just to, to sum up the lawsuit, uh, again, that was, you know, that was an attempt that was thrown out there. Um, it didn't succeed, correct? Correct. Fair enough? That's correct. I don't know how much money we spent on it. but About a million dollars in uh, legal fees <laughs> okay. for us. Well, at least some lawyers are feeling better about it. <laughs> I'm sure the lawyers but on the other side are feeling even better. They well, spent yeah. a lot more, more in, dark, yeah. in dark money on this. So mm-hmm. is the next step to, again, try to mobilize more people to talk to their lawmakers about a solid solution that's more than just window dressing? Absolutely. We look forward to a new legislature with a higher prioritization of environmental issues, including clean water issues. And again, uh, the problem is only likely to get worse. So we're going to talk about that when we come back from a short break. Uh, Climate change hitting us uh, in all sorts of different ways. Uh, You know, this month has been an interesting ride so far. We'll be back in a couple minutes, folks, to talk further about that with Bill Stowe and uh, Charles Goldman here on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan-baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food. Great community. Times are tough. And most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 246-8149. That's 246-8149. Community CPA and Associates, with locations in Des Moines and Coralville, is the perfect place to go for all of your tax and accounting needs. Community CPA offers a wide array of services, from tax planning to business IT solutions. Call Community CPA today at 515-288-3188 or visit www.communitycpa.com for more information. Hi folks, it's Ed Fallon reminding you that you can eat Iowa-grown food all winter long at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. Over 90% of the food served at Hawk comes from Iowa farms and their dishes are amazing. I once brought a guy there from New York and he was blown away by the experience. He said it was like any fine dining you'd enjoy in Greenwich Village, but at one-fourth the price. So don't go all the way to, to New York City. When you can enjoy gourmet dining prepared with Iowa-grown food at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. Ritual Cafe is located at 13th and Locust in beautiful downtown Des Moines. It's a great place for coffee, tea, smoothies, and a full vegetarian menu. Ritual Cafe also features music on the weekends. For more information, call Ritual Cafe at 515-288-4872. That's 515-288-4872. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like our cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie and delicious olive bar and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let our catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Our expert floral designers can even customize perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market. Good food, great entertaining. That's Brother Trucker. That's downtown, and we're back to our conversation on the Fallon Forum. Uh, Ed Fallon hosting with you today, and my co-host, Dr. Charles Goldman. 
Uh, Bill Stowe with Des Moines Waterworks in the studio with us. We've been talking about Iowa's water quality problem. And uh, we're going to switch a little bit, just slightly, and talk about the impact of climate change on Iowa's unprecedented water quality problem. You know, I, I mean, April was, what, the, the coldest April on record, I believe? I believe May was the warmest May on record. Uh, September, we saw two and a half times as much rain as we normally see in September, and I walked in all of it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and now, October... It was God's judgment on your pipeline march. That's right. Smite <laughs> him, yes. So now, now, now we're seeing a very similar situation. Uh, you know, I mean, and gosh, in some ways, I'd say Iowa's climate problem is, uh, you know, mild compared to what some places in the world are experiencing. But what is the... Um, what are these unprecedented rainfalls? And right now, you know, there have been some spots in Iowa where it's been really hard. hard Absolutely. Rain. In Des Moines, we've seen kind of a, just ongoing life. It feels like Ireland, to be honest with you. It does feel like Ireland. It looks <laughs> yeah, like yeah. wonderfully green. Wonderfully green and wonderfully wet. Right. Absolutely. So, well, it'll, it'll turn everybody's personalities as dismal as the Irish are from their weather. <laughs> I'll speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but great in the arts. So let's talk Yates. Uh, you know, Ed, we are in our in our business. Obviously, climate uh, has a great deal to do with both supply and demand issues. Uh, but we are seeing these wacky swings in weather that have us very concerned from a planning standpoint about where we're going. And we're surface water producers, so obviously, what goes down these rivers is uh, critical for how we treat uh, water for drinking for central Iowans, but also has consequences. Uh, in the Gulf. You know, we look nationally. Right now, the focus is more on the East Coast. Uh, formerly, it was on the West Coast in California, but it, we've got red tide in Florida as an mm-hmm. example that's certainly climate-related. Uh, what's happened in North Carolina in the aftermath of the hurricane with, you know, toxic um, eruptions into surface water from uh, animal feeding operations and then from mining and that. fossil Flash. plants. Flash. Absolutely. Uh, you know, just extraordinary things that happen that are really very much uh, related to drinking water-related issues. And unfortunately, as we see the mentality at the state and the national level right now, a lot of denial about climate change and how to get our hands which, around Which, which Carolina that. was it that codified that climate change was a hoax? Uh, you know, either yeah. one of them probably fall into the category yeah. of being are, capable of doing are, that, are, but I would bet South Carolina. Are they revisiting that? Uh, <laughs> are, they, are they rethinking that after Florence? Well, I, 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 I think a little it, late, I think. I, I think it's interesting because, um, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about the supply side in terms of drinking water. But since we really not invested infrastructurally in any way in terms of sewage absolutely, uh, and getting this, you know, you have 30 inches of rain in Houston – you know, same thing in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I mean, where's this water going to go? And all it does is spill over whatever you could do in terms of treatment. You know, uh, you're it, taking raw sewage and all these toxins into the into the drinking water, no matter what you want. Absolutely, and we have so disregarded, particularly in coastal areas, the environment. You know, plastic pollution is an example, mm-hmm. and, and and either coast, uh, what's happened with the hurricanes and the toxic releases into the oceans are just horrible. Uh, I have a hard enough time keeping my mind around trying to protect the Mississippi River Valley, but certainly there are huge national and international issues associated with the climate extremes we're seeing. So bottom line, with the extreme uh, rainfall that Iowa – I mean, we we have – right now we're just having lots of ongoing continuous rain with very little sun. Uh, but we've had moments uh, where well, there was one fall, one rainfall in Des Moines that hit about 10 inches in some parts of the, yeah, the sure county. Did. And we've seen that in other parts of the state. Uh, and I'm, maybe which one is worse, Bill? Uh, a hard rain of six to ten inches, or just a whole week of mild rain? Uh, <laughs> do yeah, or, yeah. or do we? You yeah. know, from a from a disaster response standpoint, certainly the the hard rains are yeah. a lot more difficult because they quickly overrun the infrastructure. But the kind of weather that we are seeing right now certainly a huge concern for our friends in the Corps of Engineers who are trying to control the Des Moines River uh, at the Sailorville uh, Reservoir, as an example. There, I think. And very unusual. Those of us who are from this area, spent most of our life here, realize that October is not supposed to be like this. This is, no, this very is harvest wet. month. This has got to be setting back the uh, the harvest for corn and bean and other grain farmers quite a bit. Uh, one would think so. And uh, usually there's a lot of nitrogen that's applied in the fall. So just getting into the fields to mm-hmm. harvest, let alone yes. to turn around and uh, do application, is yeah. certainly going to be a concern for a number of people. So, and again, the, the forecast, I mean, the, the, the long, long-term prognosis is for this to continue. And to get worse. Well, and, and not just here. I think there's, you know, there's also 
<clears throat> especially since we've reached an isolationist phase once again in our country, uh, we're not going to be able to isolate ourselves from the reality that uh, water issues elsewhere, low-lying areas elsewhere that are going to be inundated by ocean, is going to force people to move. And mm-hmm. those migrations, the only person who actually has a reality-based view of that is the, is the American military. <laughs> that that well, and not just because and insurance know, companies, yeah. But you know, we, and Bill Stowe. <laughs> yeah, when 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 water people get together at your conferences in Vegas, um, do what what do they talk about in terms of the? the I mean, national and, and you, you you hit a dead center, Charles. <laughs> Certainly, my uh, colleagues in Miami, uh, in Boston, in L.A. are very concerned about losing uh, their facilities to rising tides uh, and the ocean essentially encroaching on their facilities. Um, that's a huge concern for us. We only have so much uh, drinking water um, here that is deliverable to start losing facilities and have an infrastructure crisis that's that's uh, made worse, not just by the age of infrastructure, by the fact that, particularly in coastal areas, that huge parts of the coast are just being eaten up by rising tides. So one of, one of my predictions is that Iowa's population is going to grow exponentially. Exponentially, as, as, as wow. As people flee South Florida, the arid Southwest that will no longer be no longer be habitable in a lot of places. Certainly, places like Phoenix are in big trouble, and then coastal cities like like Boston, uh, New York, uh, Charleston. I mean, their their you know their future does not look uh, anything but watery. And where are those folks going to go? You, you know, should we be you know preparing for that kind of a mass internal migration to the? to the center of the country? Certainly a lot of talk about uh, climate refugees uh, from coastal areas. Um, I'm, I'm still not sure. I, you know, We've lived through watching what's happened in uh, uh, Louisiana and a number of different hurricanes and now in, in Houston and in Florida. Uh, my experience with folks from the coastal areas, when they flee, they don't flee very far. Well, we, had, uh, we had a lot of New Orleans residents move here. Yeah, well, I'm a formal New Orleanian, and I, uh, you know, there's a few great restaurants that kind of sprung up after the, right. after the hurricane, but uh, not a lot of New Orleanians want to come to Iowa. And I think that's probably true of Bostonians and Miamians. Uh, coming to Des Moines and central Iowa probably isn't going to be the first uh, choice they'll make. Well, maybe. But, you know, there's uh, it, it's one, one thing that, again, I may, maybe this will be compromised in the new climate era, too, but we have adequate rainfall. I mean, right now, too much. Absolutely. But we also have, a, have great soil and a climate okay. that is conducive to food production. No question about it. Uh, that may change. I don't know. That that may not be the case in the future. I, I don't know. But uh, Well, I think there's a lot of principled discussion about whether that is uh, changing. Um, and, and that, frankly, there are substitutes for raising food that don't involve soils that I think are being looked at yeah, a lot I'm, of. I'm suspect of those. We're talking You're, about hydroponics. Yeah, I, I am that? talking about hydroponics. Yeah. Uh, obviously, as a water guy, that has some interest to me. Yeah. Um, As a soil guy, it doesn't interest me much at all. And I I do appreciate that. I think there's probably room for both arguments to be made. But I think at the end of the day, uh, Iowa stands a great deal to lose uh, with continued ignorance about climate change, not only from a supply and demand standpoint from our water, but the impact it is having on our soils is very real. It'd be nice to see uh, bipartisan recognition that we've got a problem uh, and a willingness to do something about it. But maybe yes. first we can solve the issue of Iowa's water quality before we begin to look at the additional uh, challenges that we'll face in the new climate. Area. I think they're both going to be a challenge, but there's no question that we have na- when we have national leadership that thinks that climate change is part of a Chinese hoax, uh, <laughs> that's a real problem, and uh, continued pressure on the scientific community essentially right, to right. – uh, stop their research in the area, that's going to be a problem for us in the long term. Well, um, I don't know if we could have could conceive a more dramatic uh, shift in focus right here. We're going to go from talking about uh, saving the world to something as mediocre and really in, uh, insignificant as the NFL. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dr. Oh, Stephen wow. Goldman is going to join us in a minute, folks, so stay tuned on the Fallon Forum. <laughs> Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. You know, every once in a while we got to throw in something uh, from pop culture, something that really has nothing to do with uh, the uh, future of our country, the uh, makeup of the Supreme Court, the condition of the environment. And uh, we've got Dr. Stephen Goldman to help us do that. Uh, (laughs) uh, Stephen, welcome to the show. 
what are we now, five weeks into the NFL? Yes. Which, again, I know that you and Charles concur is um, perhaps uh, uh, the worst sport ever invented. Is that fair enough? Or just, uh, or, or maybe just the uh, the NFL itself is the worst uh, uh, entity to manage a sport ever invented. Uh, which, which, which is amazing when you consider the other sports. Um, I, I think we could safely say that it's a sport that is poorly run right from the top. And um... Well, for some reason, we lost Dr. Goldman. You know, some of the same stuff that have kind of uh, plagued the, uh, the uh, NFL since last year continues. Um, concerns about the, uh, the uh, league's response to uh, statements made by players about racial uh, bias, uh, racial profiling. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's, that's just one element. Um, there's continuing conversation about how the sport itself uh, is damaging players and uh, what can be done about that, if anything. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not the best person to lead this conversation because I'm not a huge fan of the NFL. Right. Uh, I like Tom Brady, and that's about it. I don't know, for some reason, the guy appeals to me. He's just got, he's got a nice attitude, and he's an amazing athlete. But, um, yeah, overall, uh, I, I don't have a strong feeling about it, but I know that people do. Although, yeah, although, you know, viewership is viewership is is down for all of the major sports, but you know, football also. Um, I, it, it's not a sport that appeals to younger uh, viewers, uh, and so really, that, that's you, you, that there's demographic uh, evidence correct. of that, to that effect. But, it, but it's true. It's true of. All sports for the millennials, which is that they're interested in things that are uh, more internet based. So sports and church are way down. <laughs> sports and church. Sports and church. Yeah. Well, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I mean, it, it it's increasingly anachronistic to some degree to watch to watch football games. I mean, I just it's one injury after another. Um, so, and they're doing all this. The rule changes to protect the quarterbacks because the quarterbacks are basically the marquee players. Um, but then it's taking away from what so many of the present fans go to the game for. I mean, there's an element, I think, of the uh, NASCAR crowd there. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's the same crowd. Um, <laughs> you know, the NASCAR crowd to some degree goes to see if there's going to be a crash. You know, and the, the people who are going to football games are – are watching for high-speed collisions, including our president, who said, you know, they're, they're making the game too soft now. Why don't they all just go to hockey games? Because that's, I mean, it's just a given that there's going to be multiple fights. Uh, well, it, it, there wouldn't be enough room in, in most hockey rinks for that. And it, it, as my brother said, I mean, considering hockey is probably one of the worst-run sports <laughs> in the United States, it's hard to believe that NFL might be worse, especially considering how much it's worth. Now, the I, the question I would ask to you is, what do you think the proliferation of gambling, legal gambling in every state in the United States, including here in Iowa, is going to – how is that going to affect football? Oh, uh, probably adversely in terms of sales, uh, ticket sales and whatnot, right? Um. I mean, I, you know, I think it would be just the opposite. I mean, the fact of the really? matter is, is that there was only about $7 billion legally bet in Vegas on sports. But there was $150 billion estimated to have been bet illegally either through online sports books or your bookie, you know, your local mm -hmm. bookie. Now that money is going to come out and, you know, the states are, are very interested in getting a piece of that action. And so um, it's going to turn games that you wouldn't care about into games that people care about. You know, because if it's Sunday night and they have Seattle on, you know, versus Indianapolis, why would you watch that game unless you had money on the outcome? And, you know, the other thing is you're not just betting on the winner. You're betting on things like the total, which means you'll watch a game to an end to see how much, you know, how, how much yeah. the score is going to be. So uh, I think we have Stephen back on the phone. Is that possible? Yes. I guess. Uh, yeah, hey, I'm Stephen. back. So, yeah. So, uh, again, uh between three uh, huge NFL fans. Uh. <laughs> well, my brother is, I think, a, 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 probably the biggest fan of the three of us. <laughs> Maybe, in other words, the only one. But yeah. So, uh, what, what, what's your what's your take on on, on stuff here, Stephen? Well, I mean, again, I didn't I didn't have the last few minutes, but um, it's 
it's getting part of the. As I mentioned before, it's you. I mean, you are. For example, there's a new study that just came out. Uh, Charles, did you see the study that came out last week on concussions? I think in the Ivy League that by moving back um, on kickoffs, that they actually decreased the number of concussions. Right. Relation to that, I mean, but that's that's what you're dealing with here. You're dealing with a sport that ravages bodies. I mean, take a look at arguably the greatest tight end has ever played the game. Gronk is what 29, and um, What's Gronk going to be like when he's 49? I mean, I read in Mark Leibovich's book, there's a scene where he talks about Earl Campbell, who's using a walker. He's had, you know, multiple um, joint replacements. You may, you might want to, for the audience, say who Earl Campbell was. Uh, uh, well, the, the Tyler Rose, one of the greatest running backs in the history of the NFL. I think, what, he last about eight years? Um, it, well, the old Houston Oilers, he was a, he was a mm-hmm. great runner, Heisman Trophy winner. But... You know, he lasted eight years, and bear in mind that the average, the average length of a career in the NFL is three years. And I think that what we're seeing now is so anomalous. You've got you've got Tom Brady, who seems to be literally ageless, Drew Brees, uh, even Aaron Rodgers. You know, people don't realize how old Aaron Rodgers is. He's, he's deep in his thirties. So you've got these tremendous quarterbacks who are playing at these tremendously high levels. I mean, Brady's doing something that was completely unprecedented at his age. At the same time... Uh, you mean he's still he's, playing for Bill Belichick? <laughs> you know, which is even more... Uh, but, I mean, I mean, seriously, looking at this, it's hard to watch a sport. I mean, I think yesterday both um, uh, the two receivers from the Rams, I think, went out with, uh, concussions, with concussions. yeah. And, you know, it's... I don't know how many concussions, for example, like Sean Lee, mm-hmm. you know, the great linebacker for Dallas. Um, uh, Luke McKechnie, the best linebacker in the league, has been out several times with that. You know, And this is not new. Troy Aikman, Roger Starbuck, uh, Steve Young, they all retired. Uh, Wayne, Wayne Corbett, they all retired because of uh, Merrill Hodge. They all retired because of concussions. And it, it makes it harder to watch a sport, which is a great sport, but... You have that factor there, plus the way the sport is run. I mean, watching, you know, there was a game on yesterday, the, 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 the Los Angeles Chargers versus the soon-to-be Las Vegas um, uh, Raiders. They're the Oakland Raiders and the San Diego Chargers, going back to the old AFL. And you had two proud franchises, beautifully supported by their, their cities, and those teams are gone from those cities. And for Los Angeles, which never really showed a tremendous inclination to even want those two teams in relation to that. So um, I think that all enters into a mix of what's unfortunately happening to a game, which actually, at its best, is a beautiful game to watch. I mean, yeah, and that's that's the one reason that I will sometimes watch a part of a Patriots game, uh, <laughs> because uh, the, the finesse of... Uh, uh, involved the, the just the physical you know ability is uh, is impressive, but um, is it worth well, uh, again ending up in a walker at age forty nine if you're a tight end named Gronkowski? Well, I you mean, know? I, I think what we're going to see is what happened with boxing, a sport I don't watch. I, I mean, I stopped. Charles may remember I stopped watching boxing after what happened to Muhammad Ali, and um, you know that aspect of it. That you've got. Yeah. What I'm trying to make here is that you have. You see them playing, then you don't know what's down the line. On the other hand, what are you supposed to do about people who are colleges? Why athletics college? You get that college is a university in Ohio, but people playing football for high university not have been able to go to college. Very good public university without the athletics. You can't shut that down. You can't. You can't do that. Well, but it's because we've anointed football to be one of those critical sports. Um, I mean, in, in other parts of the world, soccer and rugby would be equivalent, and you could give if if we had a change in the way we you know view football, uh, you would just move that money to different sports. But yeah, but they've tried that. I mean, and, and let's let's talk about soccer for a second. How can you have 
a world championship decided by a shootout. I, I understand that, but the point. Oh, I, the, I like that. The fact of the matter is, soccer is soccer. Soccer is a far more popular sport than football is, and you it's like it's marketing. It's marketing and the association with machismo that makes football what it is here. It doesn't have to be a major sport. It's been chosen to be a major sport. Uh, uh, a little historical perspective. When Teddy Roosevelt was president, there were deaths from college football. They were going to ban football when Roosevelt was president, and they saved it because the game was so dangerous. Right. In terms of that. And, all right, yeah, you, you can't magically, I mean, look, Pele tried it. They tried it with, with uh, certainly the kids now play soccer, which we didn't growing up. We played all the other sports. But it's also a game. It's like trying to watch a baseball game. If you don't understand baseball, watching a one nothing game. I don't know soccer that well. I'm not alone in that. There's not much scoring. And, like, and I'm not kidding about that. The equivalent to what they do in soccer would be, uh, if you go into extra innings in Game 7 of the World Series, you have a home run derby to decide the... Uh, well, it doesn't just, just matter. A 4-3 four, a four game in soccer is equivalent to a 28-21 uh, game in football. <laughs> so, well, yeah. the, the, the other problem with football is if you look at the cumulative action in a 60-minute game, it's like 11 minutes. Yeah, and soccer, it's always moving. Yeah. Now, again, I don't think you can necessarily translate that. I mean, the, the sport that I think all of us appreciate is, is hockey. But hockey's big problem that they've had, and they've clearly done several positive things to open the game up, you know, the two-line pass, less fighting in terms of that. But it doesn't tra- – football translates beautifully to television. I mean, I think we can accept that. Right. right? It makes more sense on television, actually. <laughs> I mean, it, but, it, but it's beautifully done on television. And you've got very good announcers. You've got very good analysts on that. They've now made it, made it a complete – it's now an entire year round. I mean, who used to watch the NFL draft? Or right. the combine. Or oh, the combine, yeah. I mean, who would ever watch that stuff? Do you watch the baseball draft? Of course not. <laughs> and, uh, you know, th- this has been marketing. That's why Goodell is, is the commissioner, because the sport financially has been a tremendous boon well, for the owners. Yeah, let me just ask you one question. Which sport do you think is more of a plantation at this point? I mean, it used to be baseball. Well, you know, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, you have to look at the demographics of who's playing the sport. Baseball, ironically, has become an almost completely white and Latino sport on the major league level. Oh, I'm not you know, sure that's true. No, no, that is, no, that is, no, actually it is true. The number of African Americans playing baseball at the major league level is significantly less than it was, for example, during the 60s and 70s. But hey, you know, regardless, I got to take a short break. Uh, we got other stuff sure. to talk about. So, uh, Stephen, I appreciate you taking the time to call us. Oh, am I off? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're moving on. It's Indigenous <laughs> Peoples Day. And, and uh, Chris, Christopher Columbus is calling in, so we're going to talk about oh. that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, uh, Dr. Stephen Goldman. Uh, okay. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, folks, I want to take a second to thank uh, some of our other sponsors. Uh, Catering by Sid. Sid Cohn uses local and fresh ingredients as often as possible, and every one of her catering arrangements is custom-made. That's Catering by Sid, C-Y-D. Also, thanks to uh, Dr. Kim Holding with uh, Story County Veterinary Clinic. Uh, Kim Holding has been taking care of critters large and small for over 30 years. Uh, give her a shout. That's Story County Veterinary Clinic. And thanks to uh, Gateway Market and Cafe located at 20th and Woodland in the uh, Sherman Hill neighborhood. Uh, that's my grocery store and also a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. And they've got a catering service as well. And finally, thanks to uh, Bold Iowa for helping to uh, sponsor this program, Bold Iowa. Uh, is building uh, rural and urban alliances uh, to address climate change, the expansion of uh, pipelines and other fossil fuel infrastructure, and also the misuse of eminent domain. All right. So back to our conversation. Uh, This is, um, if you you, um, you have a smartphone, and maybe this is not everybody's smartphone, but on my smartphone, today it pops up the words Columbus Day. And if I want to erase that or take it off my phone, I can't do it. Columbus Day is just there on my phone whether I like it or not. Uh, and I, I don't, actually. I know that I've got some great friends in the Italian community who think Columbus was awesome because he was Italian. But um, there's a growing movement to replace Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day, and it is gaining a lot of momentum. Well, it has, yeah, I mean, it already has the largest state in the country calling it Indigenous 
uh, day, uh, people's yeah. day. And joining us to talk about that is Christine Nobis, the founder of Indigenous Iowa. Hello, Christine. Are you with us? Yes, I am. Yeah. I had- hey, sorry about the buzz in the background there. So, um, I mean, this is... Uh, I know that there's still mixed feelings about where our country stands in relation to this particular day, and I know that very few who are involved feel that uh, that we've gone anywhere near as far as we need to go in terms of bringing native wisdom and perspective into the the mainstream of this country. But your, what's your take on the progress that's been made toward recognizing Indigenous Peoples Day and how that plays off against Columbus Day? Well, there might be mixed feelings, but, I mean, there's no disregarding the facts. And the fact remains that Columbus was um, um, a murderer, um, a rapist, and um, a, a pretty a terrible person that was given um, permission um, uh, by the Spanish uh, to uh, terrorize anything in his path in the name of um, the doctrine of discovery, um, under the biblical notion um, that um, these people had a duty to civilize um, the rest of the world in in the 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 way that uh, white men understood the world, and that's uh, and that's pretty well documented. I mean, it's it's not you, you would have to rewrite uh, history to see anything but an attempt at genocide and some really horrific well, crimes committed. Yeah, they, the issue is that history has been rewritten, and that's why Columbus. Um, is, has been given his own day. <laughs> right. But, no, in point of fact, his own journals show what the genocide that he brought on the Hispaniola, you know, yes. island. Yeah, um, he, he, he cut people's hands off if they didn't bring... Well, if they didn't bring, if they didn't bring tribute, he cut their hands off. Uh, mm-hmm. Rape was part of submitting, getting the uh, population to submit. Uh, mm-hmm. he, brought, he brought back people from the island as slaves, which was not very profitable, so they turned to getting tribute, which led to the hands being cut off when they Ugh. didn't pay tribute. Yeah. Um, the estimate is that there were three main inhabitants of the island, which was Haiti and Dominican, now Haiti and Dominican Republic, and that uh, by the end of the sp- – 20 years after the Spanish uh, uh, first landed there, there was 60,000. So – I don't think there's any question, as you're saying. The but, history but, but, was rewritten to sanitize Right, but it. the apologists, I mean, this goes way back. And again, it was part of the whole uh, process of, of um, you know, colonizing the, the, uh, the northern, north and south American hemispheres was, was to, again, you know, sanitize all these horrible acts. And so the, the sanitized version is, of course, is that Columbus did, a, did an incredible thing. He, he got these boats together. They sailed across the ocean. Nobody had ever done that before. He discovered a continent that civilized people didn't even know existed. And that's the, that's the story, of course. Uh, all of it not true. Well, all of it not true. So, I mean, why is this even a conversation anymore? Why do we... Why do we well, actually, why I was hoping still- to change the conversation away from Columbus. It's time to start... Um, Ignoring uh, this uh, this name, um, not forgetting what happened, but like trying to move beyond um, Columbus and towards Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, and Indigenous Peoples Day has been a huge effort by millions of uh, Indigenous people uh, around the continent and in Canada, uh, like in the both you and in Canada, to 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 you know get rid of this um, very uh, disrespectful uh, and insulting day. Um, and so we, we've been doing a lot of great work, and um, there, I myself haven't been uh, involved personally. Well, I have to an extent here uh, in Johnson County, actually. I help uh, with the Johnson County Proclamation. Uh, but um, I, I'm, what I'm really excited about is the fact that today, Kim Reynolds, if you can believe it, is going to be um, <coughs> uh, speaking about uh, the Iowa initiative um, that's, that's going forward Um She's going to be signing a proclamation today at 3.35 at the state capitol um, and to, to recognize the land um, that is, you know, that is now known as Iowa um, and uh, that, that it recognizes that, um, that all these tribes um, should, should be known uh, here as, as, um, as important uh, historical actors uh, in the building of the state and that um, we need to, to recognize that. So it's great. Is is that in some way to make up for the fact that she has not been the friend of of uh, Indigenous Iowans and has not championed causes important to the Indigenous community? I, I have been wondering that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why is what is she doing? I mean, you know, you know, she, you know what she did last week. She declared October uh, 
a cultural change, a cultural change week, a month. Uh, uh, again, yeah. again, regarding sexual harassment in the workplace, again, it's, it's, and a lot of observers say, well, that's because she's been horrible on that issue. Well, I mean, isn't that a good, I mean, okay, so we can always be like um, condescending about things that like these, these, you know, particular people from these parties do, but like, shouldn't we also be like, wow, they're doing something, they're taking a step in the right direction? I don't know. I'm just like, I'm like, okay, she's. Indigenous Peoples Day and this, this other month she's she's working on. Well, then okay, that's that's good. So let's keep moving her in that direction. Um, yeah. The people, yep, we the I people agree. have to move her in the right direction. No, that makes sense we, to me. Yeah, he works for us. Yeah. So, like, you know, in the end, like, let's let's continue to uh, get our employees to do what's best. And I, w- I wonder what her opponent has to say about Columbus Day. Fred <laughs> <laughs> Fred Hubble. Well, you know, if we, could, if we could move away a little bit from Columbus, which is what we've been requested to do, right, yeah. <laughs> um, right, right, right. There's actually a very interesting controversy that's been going on um, in scientific and academic uh, arenas about the issue of how many indigenous people were actually here on the North American continent <laughs> at the time of the Europeans' arrival. And to what degree the introduction of European diseases on the continent was a cause of major population loss among indigenous people or whether that was a contributor. But, you know, one of the one of the mythologies of the indigenous people is that they were very careful about tending the environment, didn't, didn't do what the whites did when they came to Iowa, which was burn the prairie down within 15 years to turn it into farmland. Um, and there's a real controversy about the number who died to, you know, from European diseases because if that's not the case – then there are questions about attending to the environment that the indigenous people did, in fact, pursue. Um, and it, it, it's kind of all over the place. I mean, you know, everyone knows the mythology about that, the indig- you know, Native Americans were given smallpox, exposed blankets, et cetera, et cetera. But the point of fact was that the uh, Native Americans genetically do not have the ability to be immune to certain diseases that the, the Caucasians from Europe were able to, and that's why... Well, these, these aren't mythologies. These are truths. And then, yeah, so I agree with you. I mean, right. But they're not mythologies. No, no, but... And then, um, and, and not genetically. We, we are genetically capable, of course. Otherwise, we'd be all dead at this point. <laughs> well, but, yeah, we didn't, have, we didn't have the immunity built up. That's correct. Um, Your H- well, the, H- yeah. the HLA subtypes among Native Americans are more constricted, which is why they were unable to respond to these diseases in a way that well, we were pretty, well, yeah, we're, we're a pretty clean people. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not at all implying it's about hygiene yeah, or no, anything I'm else. I'm just laughing. I'm just thinking about Europe at the time. <laughs> no, 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 exactly. Exactly. We all know yeah, that. Which is a sewer. Well, there, there was a fascinating article uh, called 1494 in Atlantic Monthly about th- four or five years ago talking about you would have been far better off living on the North American continent at the time of Columbus than you would have living in Europe for just the reason you're bringing up. Yeah. <laughs> some some so, women end up at a big pot of, like, you know, waste out of a window. <laughs> that's right. So, uh, out Chris, in the street below. So, Christine, <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you make of what happens, what's happening in Columbus, Ohio today? This is, uh, you know, the city named after, named after uh, um, Christopher Columbus. And uh, they're basically canceling Columbus Day and um, honoring veterans, which... Which is interesting to me because, you know, I, I, I think one reason they're canceling Columbus Day is because of the, the, the stuff we're talking about, about the, the fact that it was, you know, he was a murderer, rapist, a, a practitioner of genocide. But I don't understand why instead of coming out and saying, okay, we're canceling Columbus Day and honoring indigenous people, they switched to the politically safe demographic of veterans. I, I don't get that. Any, any, any feedback or take on that? I don't know, baby steps. Baby steps. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, I, I can't really give, give you an answer for that. I, I always have trouble understanding when when people, they sidestep the situation. So, you know, uh, I'm an organizer, and so I, I, I don't understand. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe your guest has a, another answer, another opinion on that. So uh, No, I mean, I, I don't... <laughs> I, I think the pro- the problem is is that the story is so ingrained in textbooks, it, you know that it it 
And, and of course, Columbus wasn't the only one. This was the history of most of European exploration of both North, Central, and South America was genocide. Um, I just don't know. It, there's too few people like Jared Diamond as a scholar who say, you know, Europeans, your hegemony was a matter of pure luck, you know, in terms of the, the nature of your continent being sort of east-west oriented, the fact that you domesticated the horse early on, which didn't happen until much later. Um, you know, and that's not what people want to hear because as you pointed out early on, and or maybe Ed pointed it out, it's it's this Christian notion of manifest destiny that this was they, – they came to civilize what was already here. You know, and that's the – that's what people want to believe and, and the stupidity of believing that the earth, they believed the earth was flat. It was absolutely not true. They all you had to do was look what happens to the sun on the horizon. Right. You can figure out the Earth's not flat. It looks flat to me, Charles. <laughs> no, I mean they didn't believe the Earth was flat. I don't know. I don't know where most of this came from. To be perfectly honest. Yeah. Well, yeah. If if you Google uh, the second Monday in October, um, most of what pops up is still Columbus Day. It's a U.S. observant held each year on the second Monday in October. Uh, blah blah blah. But if you scroll, scroll down a little bit, the first two things that pop up are. That Indigenous Peoples Day is now the second Monday in October, and Governor Reynolds' proclamation, which again is just out, it's just a few within the last hour. So, um, yeah, in baby steps. But uh, what's the next? Well, I mean, at some point, babies learn to run, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, how close are we to that point? Again, my smartphone tells, still tells me it's Columbus Day, but not Indigenous Peoples Day. But I, I think we're I think we're getting closer. And, I do. I, I feel really good about it. I, you know, a few years ago, you didn't see any you know, few, very few, uh, you know, cities, counties, states, you know, uh, with a, an Indigenous Peoples Day agenda. Hmm. You know, it, it's becoming, um, in my opinion, uh, an exponentially uh, greater phenomenon. And, like I just I think that you know soon enough we're going to see that the nation itself uh, proclaim Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, I have a really good feeling about it. You think Donald? Um, <laughs> you think I'm not Donald, sure about Donald, Donald Trump, Trump doing, doing that? that. <laughs> Pardon me. You think Donald Trump will do well, that? Let's, let's be clear. A Donald Trump has a picture of Andrew Jackson up in the Oval Office. I'm not thinking about it. I mean, Trump. We only have another couple of years till that's yeah. done. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, like, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> well, Christina, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for joining us, yeah. Christine. Uh, folks, we've been talking with Christine Nobis with. Uh, Indigenous Iowa. She also works with uh, Seeding Sovereignty and uh, has been an ally with Bold Iowa on many occasions. Um, thanks for joining Can us, Christine. Can I say one thing quickly before I, before I get off? Um, everybody, take a, a look at the Buffalo Head uh, drinking fountain at the steps of the uh, Des Moines um, Capitol building, please. Okay. And um, say something, please, to okay. your local Thank you. Uh, we, we'll we'll, we'll do that. We have a hard break coming up, Christine. Thanks for joining us. Yep. Thanks to Charles Thank Gold. You. My guest, this is Ed. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. There has been, regrettably, a resurgence of interest in the uh, death penalty. And um, this is fueled by a number of reasons, of course. And Iowa is a state that has not had the death penalty since 1963. And with, um, with uh, you know, efforts back in the 1990s on two occasions, 1995 and 1997, uh, Republican lawmakers in particular pushed uh, for reinstatement of the death penalty, and uh, they failed. And uh, so folks kind of thought, well, that's the end of that discussion. We're going to move on from that and be satisfied with Iowa's penalty of life in prison without parole. But now you've got um, renewed interest, uh, partly in Iowa, it's because of two horrific murders, uh, and partly because the political landscape is such that um, that there's some sense that, that it's... Um, it's possible. And also there's a lot of political interest in it because some folks feel that the polls are such that you can, um, you can uh, push for the death penalty and that plays well in some legislative uh, districts and some state, state races as well. So, um, you know, I don't know whether this is going to fly in Iowa and I'm not quite sure about the rest of the country, but there are some things happening that could in fact lead to um, uh, progress toward further uh, isolating the death penalty as an unnecessary and inappropriate tactic. Well, the we know that over the last uh, 15 years or so, the general 
national approval of the death penalty has dropped 25 points till now it's almost 50-50 nationally. Right, because it was much higher. It was in the 70s at one time. Um, And I I would say that since we really right now have a tyranny of the the minority, which includes a good good number of the fundamentalist uh, groups being in that minority but controlling, you know, government both federal government as well as state governments in many places, that um, you may well see a resurgence. But it's, I don't believe it's going to be anywhere except in the areas which the death penalty is, is still overused, Texas and the South. In fact, the, uh, that has generally been the, the situation, which is that um, it, there are some regional differences. Yeah, and we, and we have uh, cases on opposite ends of the life spectrum that are both, um, you know, calling attention to the futility of the death, pen- death penalty as effective or even cost-effective policy. One is uh, Vernon Madison, who did a horrific crime back in 1985. He's been in prison ever since. He's been on death row and in solitary confinement in Alabama for over 30 years. He's um, the victim of uh, multiple strokes. Uh, part of his brain is dead, and that's and nobody disagrees with that analysis. And uh, he's legally blind, has difficulty walking, slurs his speech, and yet there's still talk of um, executing him. And some are saying, well, you know, can, can you legally execute somebody who's not even cognizant of, of who they are, where they are, and has no recollection of what they did? Well, you legally can. I, I guess the right. question is Morally. <laughs> what, what is the purpose of the death penalty? Uh, it's barbaric. It, it puts us in company of other barbaric states that still use it. Right. Um, as we, like, our, like our ally Saudi Arabia? Like our ally Saudi Arabia. <laughs> um, it, it, it goes right back to the period, to, to what is an American crime, which is the lynching of black men for the most part that went on well into the early part of the 20th century in this country. Um, and that's the real question. It's not a deterrent. People don't not commit crimes because they uh, think they're going to be executed for them. Um, it's, it's not impartially used because basically the two predictors for whether you're going to be uh, convicted and, and given the death penalty is are you non-white and are you poor. Right. Um, we've clearly executed people who are innocent. Yeah. There yeah. isn't I mean, any question of that with DNA evidence now showing that. Um, well, what, and what, what about the, the, the five black and Latino teenagers who were charged with the crime of um, killing a, a woman who was jogging in Central Park? This well, is back no, no, they didn't kill her. That was the set. No. Oh, they, they brutally, that's right. They beat and right. raped her. Well, they, they, it was claimed that they were the, the and, ones. And, and President Trump took out a full-page ad uh, calling for the reinstatement of the death penalty. Uh, and then it was discovered that, uh, oops, we got the wrong five guys. It was somebody else. Who was proven through DNA after at least one of the Central Park Five had been in prison for 13 years? Yeah, that's correct. This is crazy. Yeah. And uh, Trump, of course, doubling down on his error, um, decried the settlement <laughs> uh, in, in an op-ed he wrote in the New York Daily News. I mean, this wasn't even a tweet. He actually wrote an op-ed, so he had to think about it. Um, and he said that the wrongfully convicted, convicted men, these five men who were originally charged and could have been sentenced to death if they'd been in another state, mm-hmm. um, were not quote angels in the past. So, I mean, he just right. doubles down on his, his uh, contempt for them. Uh, you know, and does that does the victim's family and the, the victim no, no benefit? Does society no benefit? But, um, you know, it just shows, uh, to me, it's just one more example of why uh, a state, a nation that professes to take a higher moral road must rise above the, the you know, that, that level of response to a horrific crime. No, I agree. And, and, and I don't – state-sanctioned murder is no more moral than murder itself. And we already engage in other state-sanctioned murder, war, assassinations, you know, et cetera. But um, I think we have to look at, at capital punishment as the question is what does it do for us as a society other than make us vicious? And the notion that you purify violence by doing more violence – Yes, I guess it goes back to the Old Testament. 
You know, we were always quoted the same thing, right? Eye for an eye, or well, it gives closure to the, vic- the victims' families and friends, which right. of course there's no proof of because it doesn't happen until thirty or well, forty the, the, years later. Yeah, in many yeah the, cases. Bi- the biblical requirement of an eye for an eye was a limitation on revenge. <laughs> I know. No more than an eye for an eye. Keep it at that, you know? Right. Uh, <laughs> that, that was progress back in well, the time. Well, and, and I've said this to you many times. If you want to truly use capital punishment as a deterrent to premeditated action, start, a, start killing some white-collar criminals. Of all the pre, most premeditated actions, white-collar crime is an absolutely premeditated action, right? Right. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, eviscerating people's pension <clears throat> funds. People die because they commit suicide. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but, you want you want to look at mass killers. Look at some of the the white collar criminals in this country. Yeah. So the uh, you know in Iowa last year, well actually in this year in early in February there was an attempt to reinstate the death penalty. Um, it passed uh, by a three to two vote in the uh, Iowa in an Iowa Senate subcommittee and went no further. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the problem is there's a there's a bunch of Republicans, uh, Catholic Republicans. Um, Consistent pro-life Republicans who understand that um, that uh, this is not the appropriate response. Um, well, and also, what is it like to be in an American prison at this point? The degree to which we use solitary confinement is like something out of the Middle Ages. Yeah, right this one now. guy I was in for thirty years. Yeah, you know, thirty uh, years. And, you know, and remember, a lot of these prisons are not run by the state anymore. They're contracted right. out to Private these corrections prisons. companies that are not in any way training people appropriately. Right. They're trying to minimize what they have to pay out in order to maximize their profit. Exactly. Well, they yeah. guarantee how many. You know, there's a guarantee a lot of them have as to how many yeah. beds will be filled. Yeah. So, it, everything points to that we're going the wrong way for the most part in this country. Well, but, but on, on, the, on, the, on the other side of the age spectrum, there's, uh, there's um, this, uh, this young man, Coleman, uh, Jacob Coleman. He's 20, uh, Idaho. He was charged with murder. And um, it was uh, deemed that he was too young to face the death penalty. He was 19 at the time when he, when he stabbed uh, an Indian, uh, East Indian's uh, cab driver. But... Um, now the uh, the argument is that uh, this the the the, uh, the lawyers are making is that he's too young. That that research shows that human brains aren't fully developed until at least the age of 21. So you know, and there are 23 states that don't you know have the death penalty for uh, people who are under that age. Well, it, it is true that that a lot of violence that men and it's mostly men propagate will wane as they age, and that some after 25 or 30 years in prison. A young criminal may still be middle-aged and may still have something to contribute to society. A lot yeah. of these people don't just undergo the phony finding Jesus, so don't don't execute me, but actually show that they have remorse and they do want to re-enter society in, in a useful way. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see where this goes. I mean, right now there are there are efforts to pull it, um, you know, pull states that have, don't have the death penalty into a debate about that. But we've also got this very strong, you know, uh, strong stuff going on elsewhere. Uh, with some young young offenders and with some old offenders that make really solid arguments that we don't need to be, uh, you know, continuing to expand the death penalty, that, you know, uh, a, a moral society has a better response to horror crime. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining us, folks. Uh, again, Dr. Charles Goldman in the studio with me, Ed Fallon, your host here on the Fallon Forum.